Hello, my friends. Welcome to The Greg Crino Show. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is the place where we talk to experts and people with unique experiences so we can become better critical thinkers and ultimately gain a deeper understanding of the world. In today's episode, we're doing a post-mortem on the 2022 midterm election with Ted Vogt. Ted's been on this show a few times now. He is a lawyer, former state representative in Arizona, a former staffer of the governor, and now head of the Arizona Department of Gaming. We'll ask, what happened to the red wave and is Trumpism done? How did abortion play into it and what to expect for 2024? But before we begin... If you like the content, I always appreciate a five-star rating and friendly comment on your podcast app. And if you have additional time, go to gregcrino.com, subscribe to my newsletter. And for social media, a great thing you can do is share an episode on a particular Facebook group. For example, I saw a posting about the Thunderbirds on a flying page, and so I posted the episode about Chris Strickland, who was a Thunderbird pilot. And the group members loved it, and I got quite a few new fans, so targeted social media helps tremendously. Last, if you have any ideas for the show or comments for me, email me at gregcrinoshow at gmail.com. All right, here is my friend, Ted Vogt. Ted, it's the end of the week, the election's over, and I got to tell you, dude, your prediction of five points. Wrong. Wrong. I... (laughs) <laughs> wrong, my son. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I admit when I'm wrong. Uh, and uh, boy, was I ever wrong. So, Which is interesting because, uh, you know, again, the, the mood was everyone kind of felt like the the momentum was definitely uh, heading towards uh, Katie Hobbs. And the polls had her between three and eight points up. So, you know, I think everyone... Uh, is pretty surprised, uh, but in the national uh, scope, how you know the the midterms went. Uh, maybe the writing was on the wall uh, last Tuesday. Well, it's sort of the opposite of what well, was the opposite of what happened in 2016, where the polls had uh, Hillary Clinton ahead, and then suddenly Donald Trump one and everybody was shocked and then of course hindsight's 2020 and everybody goes oh if you just saw all the anger you would know that donald trump was going to win and in arizona now it's the democrats who were uh, behind in the polls and now they pulled it out and now people go oh in hindsight all the maga stuff was uh, a weight on arizonans and across the country and we should have seen that coming so is there some of that where it's just t- hindsight seems like it's clear i think i think it's a, a mix of things one um i definitely think the pollsters after 2016 and their polls were so wrong were like oh how do we you know how do we account for these people that are kind of first time voters or people that don't traditionally vote? So, you know, I think they've done a, a little bit of tweaking of their algorithms or whatever that they hope captures all those people are going to go to the polls. And then, so that might explain some of it. Then the other part of it is too, I, I, which I think is very similar to 2016 is people uh, on the Republican side were very reluctant to say how they were going to vote. You know, in 2016, 
I don't think a lot of people felt comfortable saying they were going to vote for Trump. And I don't, and I think in 2022, there were probably a lot of Republican uh, ticket splitters that were uncomfortable or um, saying that, Hey, I'm, I'm probably going to vote for the Democrat or maybe I'll skip the race altogether. That's, you know, I've not heard that before. And I think you make a good point that there is a little bit of, there, there's an, a social pressure error that could mm-hmm. be built into this. So people are embarrassed now to say how they really feel. That's actually mm-hmm. a really interesting point. And I don't think I've heard that anywhere. So there yeah, you go, I think that, that, Hey, I, I've revealed it all. No, that's definitely what happened in 2016. And it's, I think that it's, uh, I think it's the, they call it the Brown effect. There was the, uh, the candidate running for governor in California back in uh, the eighties. Uh, and he, he was an African-American candidate. Oh, Willie. And no, was it Willie? Well, no, I forget. God. I forget what it was. We, we talked about it in law school, yeah. but you know, people were responding to pollsters like, yes, of course I'm going to uh, vote for uh, uh, the candidate. Um, I forget what his first name was, but his last name was Brown. And uh, then when it came actually time to the election, he very much underperformed. You'll have to look that up. Well, there's Jerry Brown. Let me just look up the Brown effect really yeah. quick because that's killing me. It's definitely not Governor Moonbeam. Oh, that's too bad because he yeah, he was governor twice. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was I think it was back in the uh, the early to mid eighties. Oh yeah. Let me. I'm gonna have to just get this real quick uh oh i've got like australia on my google here <laughs> let's see the brown effect get... governor california <laughs> come on greg type with one hand really fast on the on the pressure you're probably gonna get gordon brown prime minister of uh england oh yeah it's yeah it's still coming up as jerry brown okay well yeah. I, I can't do it right now. I, I, I might be wrong or whatever, okay. but it, it, I definitely think like in 2016, that accounted for quite a bit of the, uh, why the polls were wrong. Uh, there were a lot of new people that hadn't traditionally voted, uh, uh, in, in elections and presidential elections that came out. But I definitely think that when it came to ticket splitters, that they were probably uncomfortable saying that they were going to uh, vote for a Democrat. Yeah. I just want to go over the response here uh, for, or from the Lake party. So this is according to azcentral.com at nine ten PM. Lake makes a brief statement after a race called for Hobbs. She writes, Arizonans know BS when they see it. Oof. We're kind of going down the same road again. Do you think she's just going to die on this hill of conspiracy? Or uh, is she just sort of angry that it happened? Maybe not that it's a conspiracy or that there was fraud, but she's just, I'm angry that I lost. Um, well, my magic eight ball here says all all signs point to yes. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I I just think that if you look at the statewide races, uh in Arizona, um, all the Trump backed candidates either lost or are losing. Now the AG's race is currently outstanding. That will likely be a recount in Arizona. 
if you have less than a uh, half a percent difference between the candidates, that triggers an automatic recount. But all of them uh, underperformed significantly. If you look at our treasurer's race uh, with Kimberly Yee, she's the incumbent treasurer. It's a down ballot race. She's kind of a, a rank and file Republican. I served with her in the legislature and all that. She's just kind of what you would consider a mainstream conservative. She got the most. Uh, uh, she got the most votes of any statewide candidate in Arizona. So it just it just goes to show you that it, the the election deniers, the kind of the Trump endorsed candidates, uh, at least statewide, they significantly underperformed. And if you take uh, Kimberly Yee, had we ended up nominating sort of a mainline sort of traditional uh, Republican, likely would have prevailed quite handily. So I think that kind of undercuts you know, the, the argument of any sort of like sh- chicanery or any sort of uh, in- anything nefarious happening. I mean, you just point to that statewide race. Here's somebody who was down ballot, who shouldn't got, shouldn't have gotten as many votes as she did, but she did. Yeah. The response will be, well, they just flooded the boxes, the ballot boxes with votes for Hobbs. They were just targeting that race. And, they didn't care about the down ballot races. I mean, as you get more and more conspiratorial, the more mm-hmm. specific it has to get. And mm-hmm. there's always going to be people who are, con- or, you know, trying to come up with answers for everything. I think I've seen that one where they just flooded the boxes for the one candidate, whether it was Trump or, or I'm sorry, for Biden or Hobbs. And so in my opinion, I think it's becoming laughable at this point. I mean, you know, 2020 there, there obviously it's a, there was a pandemic. There was a lot of mail-in voting. There Mm -hmm. were some questionable court decisions. There were a lot of things that happened that were different or maybe seemed unfair. And I think in general, our electoral system, you know, there, there, there's some things that need to be fixed. I mean, there, we don't confirm citizenship in a very, uh, you know, we don't confirm citizenship in a lot of states. You can just put your name on a, on a, uh, you know, on a, on a form. And if you have a, a, um, a utility bill or something like that, then you're good enough. Or there's a punishment if you, if you do commit fraud, but we don't actually go out and actively look at people's IDs. And it's at least in, mo- in many states, we don't do that. And so it's easy for a person who has a conspiratorial mind to go, aha, this was unfair. But then where they make the leap is they go, it's unfair only against me. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get into trouble. It's well, like, I, 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 there I, are things that yeah. could be fixed, but it doesn't mean that you're the only one that's hurt by this. And I, I think, uh, you know, just talking with people here in Maricopa County or whatever, I, I do think there are enough people on both sides, uh, both Republican, Democrats, and independents that were annoyed by how long this process takes. Uh, that look, I don't, nothing nefarious happened. Uh, it, it took a long time to count these votes. A lot of that is because of the way the statute's written, how they have to process ballots, etc. Um, but I think there's enough people that are like, 
come on, we've got to be able to do this better. Look at Florida, which is a much larger state. They were able to count all their ballots on election night and report out uh, r- report out the figures. Um, so I, I think from what I was hearing from people is they were a little annoyed at how long this took. And maybe there's an opportunity there. You can always do things better. You can always improve the process. I don't know if anyone, if any of the Republicans or Democrats trust each other enough to actually, okay, let's really dig into the the election process here and see if we can improve it and see if we can, you know, streamline this because, you know, six days to report out uh, the, the, the numbers and granted these were very close races and there's likely to be a, uh, there's likely to be a, um, what do you call it? A recount in the AG's uh, race. But, uh, you know, again, the, the people that are screaming conspiracy theories or, you know, saying something's wrong. It's just like the numbers are not there. And let's 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 take a look. Yeah. In 2016, uh, OK, Trump was sort of a uh, unknown quantity running against a very unpopular Democrat. People decide, hey, why not give him a chance? In the uh, midterm elections, the Republicans lost in 2020. He lost in the uh, Georgia uh, Senate uh, runoff in 2021, the Republicans lost, and now most of the endorsed candidates, the Trump-endorsed candidates that were running in competitive districts, maybe not the reddest of red districts, have also lost. At some point, the the, <laughs> the evidence is undeniable that, hmm, uh, maybe, maybe people have made up their minds a- about uh, Trump, maybe they want to go in a different direction. Certainly with the relitigation of 2020 over and over again, you know, the, the old adage is, uh, elections are about the future. And, and, and these candidates spent a lot of money and a lot of time talking about the past. And that's not what people wanted to hear about. And if you, if you, if you looked at the exit polling information, uh, on inflation, the generic GOP ballot should have won by like 12 points on foreign policy, six points on all the things that people were concerned about this term, except save maybe abortion, uh, that a generic GOP candidate should have won by five points or more. Well, yeah, I think people want normalcy. They want good governance they character matters now uh i think you're right that in 2016 they took the gamble they were a bit angry at uh hillary clinton just for or some people were at least just for a a whole lifetime of of what she's done and uh yeah then they they initially they threw it into the the new guy's lap and then i think the new guy figured that he won because of him and not because of what the voters, you know, what, what the voters wanted, I guess, you know, it's, it's very easy. I think people mm-hmm. think that when they win, it's because of how good they are rather than whether, whether they were lucky. And so Trump was lucky, not really good. And, um, you know, if he'd run, if he was running against any other Democrat, well, I shouldn't say any other Democrat, but a better Democrat than Hillary, he, he would not have won that race. Uh, yeah, and then in 2018, it's pretty standard that the 
president's party loses. So that was not a huge surprise. Um, but then in 2020, they learned the wrong lesson. I think that's the thing is like, don't put it past uh, a party, particularly Republicans recently to learn the wrong lesson. And the lesson they learned was that everything was rigged and fraudulent. And of course the president said that. And so now look what happened. Um, so if you think the system is rigged, then either you're not going to play or you're just not going to try as hard or, or whatever. And so now look what happened. Um, and it doesn't have to be very many points either. I think the other part is you only have to sway like 5% of the people to really make a difference in an election. So if 90% of us don't change our minds mm-hmm. and that little 10% does, well, that's what happens. I mean, that little five to 10% did, and that kind of kicks things over. I mean, Lake is only going to lose by what? What? 1% maybe. Uh, yeah. Right now it's a little less than 1%, 18,000 yeah. votes right now. Yeah. So, so and Trump and Trump lost uh, Arizona by 10,000 votes. So, I mean, in a state of, uh, you know, seven, seven million people, uh, that's not a lot. That's not a lot that you have to persuade. And, and I think that's, you know, you look at it, if there have been minor adjustments in 2020 by Trump or minor adjustments by Carrie Lake, uh, she could have won. I, one, one of the things that, you know, nationally, Everybody kind of saw with Carrie Lake, you know, talking about election denial and, you know, relitigating 2020. The one thing that I don't think was picked up a lot nationally is sort of the the Republican civil war that she kind of was playing on here in Arizona. You know, she adopted uh, Trump's, for whatever reason, uh, dislike of John McCain. Uh, and his supporters, you know, she had stood up at CPAC and said that, you know, winning the the Republican primary there had driven a stake through the heart of the McCain machine. And, uh, you know, in some of her rallies here, you know, she said there better not be any uh, uh, McCain supporters here. I, oh you know, I, I, I don't want them here. And it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the wrong you, you lesson. Know, it is the, it is absolutely the wrong lesson uh and you know totally forgetting that uh to win uh, is a is about addition not about subtraction and to tell you know probably i, I don't know at least 30% of the republican party in the state of arizona uh, plus many many uh independents that you don't want their support i guess um you shouldn't be surprised by the the uh, outcome then. Yeah. Well, 2016 was a very unique time too. It's very easy to be an asshole for a short period of time and, and have it work. Like you can be an asshole and you will gather some very motivated people and you can, you know, take ground like in warfare, you can take ground very quickly, but you have to hold ground after that. Mm-hmm. And you have to hold ground with Again, with the war analogy, with the war analogy, you have to hold ground with troops on the ground who are actually interacting with people. That's how you hold ground. You can take ground with tanks and just go in there, guns a blazing, and destroy everything. But then what? And I think what Carrie Lake, or I shouldn't say just her, but a lot of the MAGA Republicans nationally, they confuse taking ground with holding ground, and they thought, mm-hmm. oh, it worked in 2016. 
well, I'm going to go there again with my, my tanks and guns a blazing in 2022. Um, and yeah, there's just, there's just nothing, nothing left. Now I say this again with hindsight, you know, we thought that Carrie Lake was going to win this one, but that was purely based on, on polls and we didn't mm-hmm. know what would happen, what would happen nationally. So, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's tough. Well, well to your point, uh, about, uh, there's a lesson here to be learned and there's always a fear that the Republicans are going to learn the wrong lesson. I think there's already indications that, uh, you know, at least at the Senate and maybe the house, they're learning the wrong lesson. I, you know, you've got Ted Cruz out there, you've got, you've got Josh Hawley out there that they're, they're blaming Mitch McConnell for this. <laughs> it's like, um, that's, that's not what I think uh, the voters were saying in all of that. I don't think people were uh, rejecting Mitch McConnell. Um, you know, with with the money, they're all saying he abandoned Arizona with respect to Blake Masters. Um, hey, look, money's finite. You got to put the money where you think you're going to win. Uh, I think probably everybody was surprised that uh, the the Republicans had to spend thirty five million dollars from the Senate fund to get uh, J D Vance over the the finish line. Uh, they you know they they put money elsewhere. Um, so there there are there are two things. One uh, could Washington benefit from new leadership? Yes, I think it's 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 odd that. You know, most of our top offices are filled by people in their late seventies, early eighties. Uh, you know, it is time for a new generation uh, to move forward. Uh, but to think that that this election is because of Mitch McConnell or or you know Kevin McCarthy in the House, like that, the, like this election repudiates them. I don't think that's the message. Uh, I think those are probably. Uh, some presidential hopefuls in uh, 2024 uh, that are kind of mugging for Donald Trump, showing that you know they they're they're posturing for uh, for his base, uh, whatever remains of it, uh, in hopes of either running uh, in 2024 or trying to get on the ticket somehow. Well, and Donald Trump didn't even spend most of his money on the races. So he raised a bunch of money and didn't spend it. I mean, there are so many things that he did wrong, either intentionally or unintentionally to hinder his candidates. Like he would stump for them and he raised a bunch of money, but he didn't spend it for them. I, I no, mean, a matter of fact, some of the arrangements that he set up with the candidates, uh, like in, with Blake masters, he sent out fundraising uh, for Blake masters, uh, and the split was something ridiculous, like uh, of the money raised there, Donald Trump got 99% of the money for his pack, and the candidate got 1%. Oh, my now, God. Now, he, he also got access to that mailing list or whatever that probably has value over time. But, you know, if you're, if you're somebody who's pitching in 50 bucks, thinking that 50 bucks is going to go help a Blake Masters or a Herschel Walker or whoever – and then you find out that uh, the vast majority, ninety percent plus, is never going to the candidate. I mean, that's you know that that seems like false advertising. Yeah, and Mark Kelly wins. Looks like fifty one and a half percent to like forty six something. So that was a good five percent split on that one. 
I think yep. you said Cary Lake was a little less than 1%. And that actually does not uh, bode where it, it shows that Katie Hobbs ran a, ran a pretty terrible campaign. I think you had said that. So she should have won by more. Um, and then all the down ballot Republicans, or at least all the MAGA Republicans you said had yeah. lost in Arizona. So Arizona was pretty indicative of of the national mood, it seems. Um, yeah. So now, there, there is a possibility uh, that uh, Abe Hamaday, who's the AG candidate, you know, again, he's just a couple thousand off of uh, Chris Mays, uh, who's the Democrat candidate. There's possibility with the remaining uh, ballots come out, he could go over the top, but there will definitely be a recount. But I, again, I, I, I just think that that, that that treasurer's race is glaring. It just goes to show you that people on both sides had a hard time voting for the other statewide candidates. I mean, if Kimberly Yee, the state treasurer, is getting the most votes of any statewide candidate, uh, people reluctantly split their ballot or skip the race altogether on on the uh, governor as secretary of state, etc. Yeah, let's look at the rest of Arizona because. I just find the state so interesting. Um, you had, uh, it looks like the city council actually had Sam Stone on this show. His seat is going to be up for a runoff. Um, he supported mm-hmm. Carrie Lake, although it was kind of a, it seemed like a support name only in a way. I don't know. I didn't follow it that closely, uh, but he's going I, for a runoff. Go ahead. Yep. No, oh, I was going to say, I think he, he actually advised her quite a bit. So, uh, he yeah. was definitely in in the late camp. Yeah, I, I uh, think you, if you look c- congressionally, uh, we had had a five four uh, split in our delegation, uh, and I think it might have been a couple of times it was a, a Democrat majority on the five four. Uh, this time around, it's going to be six three. Uh, we had some new candidates uh, win. Eli Crane, who was a Trump supporter uh, and sort of, uh, if you want to say, an election denier or whatever, he won in a probably the largest district that goes all the way up north. He beat Tom O'Halloran, uh, a former Navy SEAL, so first-time candidate. Uh, he won Juan Siscomani, um, who I'm sure you probably knew from down in Pima County. I'd certainly known him. Uh, he, he won that district that has Tucson. So that's, uh, you know, that's a, a big pickup, uh, and granted the district had been redistricted and, but he succeeds, um, and Kirkpatrick who had represented up in Flagstaff and then she lost and then she ran against McCain and lost. And then she went down to Tucson and, and got elected to Congress. (laughs) So damn carpetbaggers. that's right. And and Schweikert was in a, a very close race for a while. The Democrat led uh, up until yesterday. And then when the ballots came in, Schweikert won. So that one, I think people were kind of scratching their head on that one because that should have been easily a GOP uh, hold. Well, you said he, he won, though, right? He, he, he Yeah, he's won. But it it's, was it's, close. It was very close. So of all of the, uh, I guess, MAGA type Republicans in Arizona, how many actually won and, and won well or did better than expected? 
Um, I, I don't know if any did better than expected. The ones who won are in very, very red districts. Wendy Rogers, uh, who's been very outspoken. As a matter of fact, she's been censured by the uh, state Senate uh, for some of the things she said on uh, social media. You know, she's kind of been associated with that Nick Fuentes and 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 just said a, a lot of embarrassing things that the, the Senate uh, censured her. Um You've got Jake Hoffman, who's now in the Senate out of one of the districts from the East Valley. Uh, he was kicked off Twitter because I guess he ran a troll farm back in 2016. <laughs> Somehow he's affiliated with that Turning Point USA. And he oh had gosh. a bunch of college kids doing, you know, I guess human bots on Twitter, or social media, or something. So there, there, there are definitely uh, some uh, heavy Trump supporters uh, in the legislature. Um, remember, our state Senate was the one that okayed that uh, "quote unquote" audit that we had back in in twenty twenty two with the with the cyber ninjas. I don't remember uh, this. Do tell. The now, uh, well, um, after the 2020 election, maybe it's been, maybe it was 2021. After the 2020 election, of course, Giuliani and uh, that Jenna, uh, I forget her last name, uh, who was also kind of on the legal team, came out to Arizona, was trying to get the first, the House and the Senate just to uh, kick out the electors and send a new slate of electors. And, uh, Sonny, or excuse me, uh, Rusty Bowers, who was the house speaker, you know, said no way, uh, and kept asking for, you know, evidence. They never gave him evidence, but, uh, the, the, some of the senators, uh, decided that there needed to be a hand recount audit of at least Maricopa County. And so they, I think they allocated something like $50,000 or $100,000 to do it. And of course, when you're, when you're willing to pay that type of money for a, uh, uh, audit, you, you, you shouldn't be surprised when the people you can, the only people that are going to come do it is some organization called cyber ninjas. Uh, <laughs> and so they, it, it was just a fiasco. Uh, and a matter of fact, at the time that they got done with the audit, uh, Biden had more votes out of uh, Maricopa County than he did when he started. So nice job, ninjas. Um, that's right. So, uh, so when you're paying for an audit, then so this is something I did not know when you're doing these audits, oftentimes they have to be paid for by a private organization. And if they don't pay very much, then you might get a really shitty audit. Is that mm -hmm. kind of what well, can happen? Uh, well, well, matter of fact, I mean, the, the amount of money that the Arizona State Senate uh, allocated was way insufficient for what needed to be done. I mean, a, oh. a forensic audit is huge. Um, and so there was a lot of private fundraising that went on. And so the question was, okay, who's paying for this? And what sort of influence is that going to have on the audit? Matter of fact, some of the some of the uh, characters from the one American news network, some of their, or at least one of their correspondents, uh, was heavily involved in the fundraising effort to, to raise funds for it. So, you know, it was just, it, it was just sort of a fiasco from the get go. It, you know, the, the stated purpose was, look, we're going to do this hand count audit of Maricopa County. And when we're done with it, that will instill trust in the results. Okay, great idea, 
but then you only uh, allocate a fraction of the money. You don't go get one of the uh, the, the gold level firms like Price Cooper's Waterhouse or or any of them. And you end up with some organization called Cyber Ninjas. <laughs> Uh, they don't have their own people, so you rely on uh, volunteers to come in and do it. The Democrats aren't going to uh, participate with you. So it was just it, a, it was yeah. a slow-moving train wreck. Oh, my God. Wow. All right. Yeah, I, I am so tired. Like, count me in that <laughs> Count me in that 5 to 10% where I don't want to vote for Democrats. I hate the whole highly socialist woke thing that does bug me but it's starting to bug me a lot less and mm-hmm. i'm just becoming so infuriated by the shenanigans of i hate it even to say far right because they're not even really principled people they're it's more it's populism it's just mm-hmm. right-wing populism and where you're taking the reins of government and you're just putting it in a, in a direction that you want and you're just hating on people because they're different from you. Uh, and you expect me to support you just because you've got the R next to your name. And it's just so awful. Like the One America News Network folks, the Turning Point USA. Again, they've got some decent arguments. I'll listen. But 90% of it is just propaganda. And I can't even... I, it's it's like a circus now. I, I, I just count me a part of the people who just want a normal you know guy that wears khaki pants and a light blue shirt to just make the trains run on time <laughs> that's all i really want you know and is going to well, tell me the truth most of the time <laughs> well there's it's not even populism i mean uh there the, populism doesn't necessarily uh you know morph into what some of this has become, which is, you know, a cult of personality. I mean, people who so desperately want to get a, an, a, an endorsement from somebody that they will parrot these false talking points and are willing to follow this individual over the cliff, you know, that, that is a cult of personality. And, the, and, and these people that believe that only, Trump can solve the problems. That's not even populism. I mean, there, you know, there, there's probably some that are, you know, populist that, Hey, show me the next great populist candidate and I'll support them. Um, I mean, that's, that's the one thing that's, that's sort of disturbing that you're, that you're, you're willing to follow this individual. You're, you're willing to buy, buy into their, worldview or the their falsehoods that they're parroting uh because they can't cope with having lost something that you are willing to sacrifice your integrity your brand etc on their altar um you know that's disturbing look there were some good things that trump did uh i think the the republican party probably learned some of those things that hey maybe you know what we can advocate for the working class people. Maybe we, you know, we do have a message uh, that is compelling to, you know, uh, people of different races, et cetera. So let's not write them off from the get go. Let's try talking to them. Let's see if we can fashion a, a platform and, and compete for their votes. That's a good thing. Um, 
And I hope that's a lesson that the, that the party carries going forward. But the rest of this stuff is just, you know, okay, we've now got three data points that, uh, you know, I guess subverting yourself to Trump and what he requires of you is a losing recipe. Yeah, I think it's, we've kind of beaten this horse into submission at this point, but I think, um, I think we're going to be back here two years talking about the same thing. I know, I know, (laughs) I know. We just love talking about it. It's just so fun. Um, Yeah. If I were to kind of put everything into just a a quick summary, I think that there was, there was a lot of anger obviously built up over the course of many years. You could go back to whatever year you want, where I think people on the right were the ones that were, uh, you know, nice and respectful. And that's where you had guys like Mitt Romney, um, even George W. Bush, who, who, of course, there are flaws in every human being, but they kind of embrace the social conservative respect. Um, you know, they, they were, they behaved well. And I think there was a society is changing and Democrats, I think were able to take advantage of the the niceness of many big name Republicans and they were winning and uh, you know, Barack Obama didn't help things with some of the things he would say about whether it was police or some of the big issues that would come up in terms of, uh, of race. He kind of would poke the poke the bear a little bit on the right. And people eventually just got really, really angry and they're like, all right, fine F you. Now we're going to get this, put this guy in and this, asshole comes in and goes, yeah, you know what? The system is rigged. And you know how I know I'm playing in it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm the one who is taking advantage of this rigged system. And I've got now on my, on my three wives and I don't care what I say. And I'm going to go after everybody and I'm just going to kick the table over. And it felt so good. Uh, and it worked. And then this guy goes, all right, I want to keep on doing this. And again, mm-hmm. that becomes fun. You know, once you're in a fight, it doesn't matter. And now people are like, all right, I'm tired of these two people fighting. You're destroying the China in the living room. And <laughs> all the plates are all over the floor. There's food on the walls. Like, we need to stop. We need to clean up the house a little bit. And I think we've hit that point where that middle 5 to 10% said, all right, enough. And let's uh, stop the fighting, clean up, go back to your room. And uh, let's find somebody who can... Um, you know, clean things up and turn this house into a respectable place. Uh, and, and I think uh, that's and, the time. You, well, and I think like, you, you know, the, what could make this different is you've got sort of a, a model out there now in Florida uh, with Ron DeSantis. Hey, he's got some of the pugilism uh, that the right likes, uh, you know, especially when it takes on the press or, you know, you know, corporations, et cetera. Hey, we like it. He kind of throws uh, punches, but uh, he's also a competent administrator. And, you know, hey, he gets things done when there's a hurricane or, you know what? He, he opened up, he, he kept Florida open or he opened up pretty early, kept Florida open, got, got the schools open, got kids back in school. And hey, we really like that. And he was rewarded with that with almost a 20 point uh, margin over his, his, his opponent. So, Hey, it's the best of both worlds, uh, a fighter and competency. 
Yeah, it's like Trump was like the drunk brawler in the bar, and DeSantis is more of the professional boxer. You know, he can go in there, he plays by the rules, he's precise, he can hit back. And, you know, once in a while, I I, I like Ron DeSantis. I would support him right now if I could. Um, I do hope he doesn't get too MAGA, though, because he can go in that direction. Um, You know, the whole deal about this is where... Florida's where woke comes to die. It's, I get it. I don't like woke either, but it's a hand that can be overplayed. I hope he just understands that there is a limit and you can't just go after corporations that are expressing opinions that you don't like. That's the part that kind of makes me hesitate. Like I, I, I like Ron DeSantis right now, but I am still looking around. Um, I don't know. How do you see it? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, he gave that speech before the the lesson was for, fully out in front of everybody to kind of see nationally. You know, they he, his race got called pretty early in the evening, but you see how underwhelmingly the Republicans performed and how it's pretty clear that uh, people want to kind of move away from, uh, I guess I would say, Trumpism uh, and the other part of it is he's taking incoming fire now from Trump. Uh, as long as he doesn't engage, as long as he kind of keeps above the fray, uh, I think that helps him in the long term. And in many ways, Trump is embarrassing himself. Oh, at this point, yeah. I that's yeah. what I, I said. I think if Ron DeSantis just keeps his mouth shut and just lets Trump hang himself, mm-hmm. that's that's a win. I mean, DeSantis just needs to keep doing what he's doing. I would ignore Trump. Now I know a lot of media won't let him because they're going to go and ask him questions, say, Hey, what did you think of Donald Trump? And so he's going to have to find a way to answer that, you know, kind of appease the reporters. So, but without kind of, um, angering too much of the, the hardcore Trump folks. But yeah, for the most part, if, if DeSantis just kind of keeps doing what he's doing, um, don't insult Trump, but don't go out of your way to you know, defend him by any means. I would just kind of smile and just kind of shake my head. That's what I would do. I just kind of smile and shake my head and say, you know, I don't, I don't know what the president's talking about um, or the former president's talking about. Uh, I'm just focused on, you know, 2024 or something like that. He could have some vanilla yeah. boilerplate answer to get, get him through, get him through it. But yeah. And I, I think, you know, there's, you, you do always have to kind of keep looking for, uh, the rest of the candidates out there. I mean, uh, let's not forget back in 2015, everyone was talking, oh, there's going to be a president Scott Walker. Well, that didn't turn out too well. So I, I don't, I don't put a lot in, I I, know that's why I don't put a lot of stock in a front runner status this early on. And, you know, until you're well into the primary, you never know how people are going to perform. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the 2024 candidates. I think on the Republican side, uh, obviously you got DeSantis. Uh, what else do we have? Um, the ones off the top of my head would be, well, who are the governors? You got Greg Abbott. You've got, um, who's the guy? Larry, was it Logan or something in Maryland? Larry Hogan. And Larry Hogan yeah. in Maryland. Um, of course, you've got Nikki Haley. You got uh, I think Christy Nome up Nome, in, yeah. uh, I'm going to forget which Dakota she's I think in. North Dakota. I think South Dakota. 
North Dakota. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, well, the other right. names that are coming up is, uh, um, Tim Scott, Senator yep. out of South Carolina. I, I don't think the Republican party is going to find their nominee in, uh, Maryland or <laughs> Massachusetts. So those governors, whatever, you know, I think are gone, but you know, Tim Scott, um, I'm sure Josh Hawley and, and Ted Cruz, you know, both fancy themselves as president. So they'll probably get into the race. Um, or, or maybe not. I mean, one of the things that I thought was, uh, really unbecoming are, are these candidates that were kind of floating the balloons, uh, that they were interested in the presidential race. And then once, uh, Trump kind of, you know, started making noise, they're like, well, of course, you know, if Trump decides to run, you know, I'd yield the field to them. It's like, you either, you either think you're good enough to be president or you don't. Yeah. And don't be a pussy. if you, yeah, if you think you're if you think you're going to be president, then you better believe that you'd be the best candidate out there to be president. So, you know, hemming and hawing, just waiting to see what Trump is going to do, I think was uh, ridiculous. And that's why, you know, I also hand it to uh, Ron DeSantis. He never said anything like that. Yeah, people you know, are he, still he, afraid. It's, I think, yeah, it's the bully in the room. Um, he's the guy who fights. I mean, they saw yep. what happened to all those other candidates in 2016. I mean, people don't want to waste money. They don't want to waste time. Um, they're really afraid of, you know, ticking off that. Gosh, I mean, it was probably 60% of the Republican Party. Maybe now it's down to about 40%. Uh, and it's going down fast. And we got two years to go. Um, well, I guess we got a year until a little over a year before the primaries start. So. I don't oh, know. it's all going to start in January. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. I know. But the, yeah, the actual voting. Um, yeah. Anyway, exactly. I want to I shift gears a little bit. Um, so what about, uh, what'd you think about, uh, so the other one was the MAGA Republicans. The big theme was how the, the MAGA theme didn't work this time. And uh-huh. those candidates mostly lost. Uh, what about abortion? That seems to be like the number two issue that swayed this election. So we have what I think it says there were five states that had abortion on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Kentucky, Michigan, California, Vermont, and Montana. Uh, across all five, vol- voters ultimately supported protecting abortion access rather than mm-hmm. restricting it. Now, granted, California is California, Vermont. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't really count too much. But Kentucky, Kentucky Michigan, and Montana... You know, one's kind of a purple state. The other two are red states. uh, And they voted to protect abortion access. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you had a good point a couple of episodes ago that there were these uh, trigger laws. So when Roe Roe was overturned, a lot of these red states had very draconian trigger laws in effect. And they just didn't have a chance to correct them. And Mm -hmm. so when all those really draconian laws went into effect, people go, Oh my God. I mean, even a lot of people who are, you know, mostly pro-life, like I'm, I'm, I consider myself more maybe 80% pro-life, you know, I Mm -hmm. recognize there are certain exceptions and circumstances and, uh, you know, enforcement problems. And so, you know, banning things for any reason whatsoever at conception, I think is just unrealistic. And so uh, what do you think? Was it the trigger laws that kind of made people, spring back and go, Oh my God, we got to correct this. Or do you think it was legitimately red States are maybe not as red as we thought? 
Well, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, so Arizona's trigger law goes back to, you know, the territorial days. So, I mean, it's pretty, uh, uh, you know, it was a pretty uh, severe, uh, uh, trigger law, though, that I don't think there's really been uh, a, a lot of activity around that. It was motivating. The issue of Roe v. Wade was certainly motivating for Democrats. Uh, and I think, you know, while people are pro-life, this has been, quote unquote, the law of the land for 50 years. And they've gotten pretty comfortable with it. So, you know, back back when the Supreme court did this, uh, with the Dobbs case, you know, I, I wasn't surprised at all in the sense of like, Hey, look, be careful what you wish for. Uh, everybody's been saying, we want this to be decided by the people at the States. We want this to be decided at the people of the States. Well, that's all the Supreme court did. And, you know, whether, whether there's ever a national effort to, to codify, uh, Roe v. Wade, I think that, you know, it's just what people have been accustomed to. So I think that they were concerned of going, uh, you know, going with a strict ban on abortion. And yeah, I think I th- that's what most of the, m- most of the uh, constitutional amendments that were being floated, floated in these states was contemplating. Yeah. And some of them were just codifying in their state constitutions. What would, what was already codified legislatively, like California had this measure to protect it in the constitution. But yeah, the legislatively we already had, I think it was like anything beyond 24 weeks required two doctors. And I mean, California has got the most liberal abortion laws probably in the world. Um, so it didn't really change anything. It just rewrote it into the constitution, which by the way, can be changed by the voters mm-hmm. anyway. So it's maybe it's a little more difficult, I guess, but Anyway, so it wasn't a huge change, but, you know, I think abortion is one of those things that will always lean more toward pro-choice because if you look at it just mathematically and logically, if you just assume guys in general don't have as much of a dog in that fight, they're going to split probably 50-50. And then, but women do, they have a huge dog in that fight and they're probably going to lean more pro-choice than pro-life and i think they they do i think it's like 70 percent of women and it's like 50 percent of men or something like that and so yeah nationally speaking it's going to be about 60 to 65 percent more toward the pro-choice side and and you know let's face it the baby can't vote (laughs) Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i i don't ever see abortion going below about 55 percent on the average i think in your deepest red state maybe it'll dip down below 50 where they could go and have more of a pro-life regime but then you'll have very blue states where it's going to be 80 percent and so i just think we're going to be hovering around that 60 percent and that's what's happened for the last 50 years and i think if the pro-life movement i've always said this that the pro-life movement is not going to win in the ballot box it's going to win in the laboratory it's going to win through science and, you know, showing people what the development of a baby is, what educating them on when fetal pain begins, you know, changing the culture. And, and so I think also making it easier to be a single mom. I think we've actually done a pretty good job of that over the last few decades where if you're a single mom, you're not like 
you're not the bad guy, you know, you're probably more the victim. Um, and I think maybe helping with single moms would help. Uh, I don't know. What do you think the pro-life movement could do? Well, I, I, well, kind of going back what you were talking about, you know, winning in the laboratory, that that's kind of the argument uh, or the thesis that uh, Chief Justice Roberts was trying to make in the Dobbs opinion when he was trying to fashion like some sort of majority. He's like, look, don't throw out Roe. If the issue is about where we draw the line, uh, you know, if science is pushing that line of viability earlier and earlier and earlier, but we still have this construct of Roe that works, let's just let's just push that line back. And it seems, you know, in Arizona, the the legislature this last session passed a 15-week ban. So after 15 weeks, you know, yeah, I think uh, there's no abortion except in the case of rape, incest, and uh, life of the mother. Uh, it seems like there were quite a few that were kind of uh, coalescing around that 15-week ban. So, you know, yeah, there, there, that's, that's sort of the argument that the uh, – Chief Justice Roberts was trying to make, uh, in in his opinion, um, with respect to uh, you know pro life, etc. I, I do think like while it's certainly not as bad as it used to be, you know, single mothers, etc. I, I think that the that the pro life movement is going to have to be like okay if we are if we are saying uh, that we value these lives all of these lives, uh, then we can't suddenly become sort of uh, stingy on the other side when, you know, people need a more robust safety net uh, to, to raise these children. You can't say, well, you know, uh, we, we want you to have that child, you know, we want you to preserve that life. And then when they're like, okay, I need help. It's like, nope, that was a choice you made. And, you know, you decided to you know, have sex, you decided to have that kid, uh, you need to uh, fend for yourself. I still think there's more work to be done there. Uh, that you know, we that the the pro life side has to be willing uh, to provide uh, support uh, once the child is here. Yeah, I think that's actually an important point. Is that you can't be pro, you can't want to ban abortions and say you're you're pro life, and then also say well, we're not going to have a government safety net for single women because the government safety nets are inefficient. Like you can't have like a economic conservative argument only when it comes to single moms because there are plenty of areas where Republicans support a social safety net. They might, you know, social security is a big one. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Medicare is a big one. Those are the two biggest federal programs. A lot of Republicans still believe in uh, public education, whether it's through vouchers or uh, or tax breaks or things like that. Um, so they do believe in a government safety net for some things. You can't then just say, well, when it comes to having a kid, we're not going to have a government safety net for that. In fact, I would say I, what I would like to see the Republican Party do is say, look, we don't believe in government safety nets except for saving a child. Like if it, if it, if it can prevent an abortion then we should have a government safety net. Um, I think that would actually do really well, um, both morally and politically. Um, do you, how do you see it? Well, I think morally, it's certainly, uh, I, I don't know if I would say only for that, 
Um, but you know, certainly morally, yes, if we're saying life is, is precious, uh, it, it can't be just precious while it's in the womb. Uh, and if, if we're, if we're, if we're doing away with abortion and people are going to be having kids that, um, maybe they wouldn't, um, or, you know, the, uh, in the current situation, they might decide to get an abortion or, or et cetera. Um, we can't just throw up our hands then and say, well, that's, you know, that's your responsibility. That's your choice. You, you know, this, this is the result of your decisions. So I, I, I yeah. just feel like we've got to be better about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a tough one, I think, but there, there is a lot of, uh, I think misunderstandings about uh, abortion. I, mean, I was, you know, chatting with a friend online that, you know, didn't know that the 15 week ban was something that's pretty average all over the world. Actually in Europe, I think the average is right around 15 weeks. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. when Lindsey Graham proposes a 15 week ban, he's just doing what the rest, what the rest of Europe is doing. Um, you know, people have gotten used to the, uh, I guess, abortion as a right in the United mm-hmm. States. And, you know, we were pretty far off to the left side of the spectrum. And I, now it's kind of a wake up call. Like, you know, California is one of the most liberal places on earth when it comes to abortion. Um, you know, actually I have heard in, Canada, they don't have any abortion law. So you could, you could even say theoretically Canada's extremely liberal as well, because they just don't even consider it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I'm not reading that one correctly, but in general, the Roe v. Wade regime was uh, quite far off on the left side of the spectrum. Um, And so now it's, things are going to be done more at the ballot box. I do expect I'd say most, if not all states to allow abortion in, in some cases. Um, so I think people are going to kind of coalesce around that 15 week area. And that happens to be about the point when the fetus begins to, you know, feel pain or understand pain. I know that's a, mm-hmm. a long spectrum and there is some debate about when that occurs, but yeah, people tend to like, you know, I've talked to a lot of pro-choice people and they tend to believe that the first trimester, which is right around 13, 14 weeks, you know, that's when you can have your abortion after that, they're willing to accept restrictions. So, you know, the party that can kind of coalesce around that opening up that first trimester and then creating pretty decent restrictions after that, of course, except to save the life of the mother, you can't ever get rid of that. But I think that's what they got to do. And I would just start, if I were Republicans, I would say, Hey, look, um, you know, a lot of Republicans did before this. They would say, hey, I believe I'm pro-life except for, you know, rape, incest, and life of the mother. So they already had three big exceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like you can't say that as a Republican. You obviously can. Um, and then just say, hey, I would draw the line at wherever. You could even go as far as, you know, 10 weeks. As long as there's like a small window where women have some option, I think politically it could work. And then after that, say, hey, look, yeah, after that, I'm, I'm pro-life. We need to like, restrict this. We need to have it only in, in very extreme circumstances. There needs to be whatever, two doctors. And then just paint your opponent as being the extreme one that says, hey, this, you know, my opponent on the Democratic side says, you know, my body, my choice for any reason whatsoever, all the way up till birth. And that is, that's awful. And I would start pounding the morality of that. Um, uh, that that's, I think that's how I would do it. Well, this this starting this January, uh, you know, when legislatures reconvene, I think that's this is going to be 
the the big issue that states grapple with. You know, there, there's only been a handful that did anything uh, with their constitution by referendum. So I think you're, that's what's really going to be interesting to watch over this next, you know, when they all reconvene in January and and see how they deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Now, what about uh, 2024 in terms of the Senate? So I'm looking at the the map here in terms of electoral votes. Man, you got a little bit of changes now. So California only has, let's see, we're down to 54. Arizona actually will have 11 votes now. So of all of the states that are west of the Mississippi, you got Texas and California are the big ones. And then... yep. Arizona's got 11, Washington 12, Colorado 10. So those are kind of like the three. Oh, Missouri has 10, Minnesota 10. So you got a handful of like mid-range states there. We mm-hmm. failed to pick up a uh, new congressional seat after apportionment. Mm-hmm. Um, from the census, you know, there were a lot of delays uh, with the the census because of COVID. Um, you know, we we had difficulty getting people to participate in it. And so we... We didn't gain a seat. I think Utah gained a seat. So, and many people were speculating that we'd easily pick up one, possibly two. So that actually came as a big surprise. Yeah, I'm showing eleven. So you do have eleven then going in. in well, you got nine. Con- you you okay. got nine. Uh, yeah. So. Oh, I see. I see. Um, yeah, nine plus seven, or excuse me, nine plus two, uh, nine okay. congressional seats, two senators. Okay. Yeah, they're showing here on uh, on this little handy map that I have that the Democrats have a safe 209 electoral votes and Republicans have a safe 125. So the electoral map looks pretty strong in favor of the Democrats. You need 270 to win. Um, I haven't looked at the Senate map yet. Have you looked at how the Senate could shake out in 2024? I, I don't know who's got more coming up in 2024. Um, I bet you uh, the Democrats will probably have more vulnerable ones because those coming up in 2024 would have run in 2018 uh, when sort of the win was at the Democrats' backs. So I bet you they will probably have uh, m- more candidates up and probably some that are from more vulnerable states. But of course, so much of that's going to be dictated by the presidential race. What What's the climate like? Uh, where's public sentiment? But I think Democrats will probably be on the defense in 2024. Yeah. So what do you think will be the the big issues in 2024? I know it's, it's two years away. Um, you know, the big ones in 2022 with uh, Donald Trump, I'd say, and then a pretty, you know, strong second would have been abortion. What do you think will be the the big issues in 2024? I, I think that it's uh, definitely going to be the economy uh, because I don't think inflation is going to subside until, you know, 2023. Uh, it's likely that we're going to be in the midst of or possibly just starting to come out of a recession uh, and, you know, even you know, even when you're kind of coming out of recession, uh, the president's party in power is uh, very vulnerable. I mean, that's you know, George Bush, George H. W. Bush lost in uh, 1992, 
even though the economy was recovering in 92, I mean, people just still felt so bad after uh, the recession under his term that they really took it out on him at the ballot box. I think that's going to be an issue. And I, you know, maybe this is sort of an Arizona centric view. Uh, I think immigration is going to continue to be a huge issue because I don't, I don't see either side willing to tackle that issue. And so things are going to kind of continue on the way they have over the last two years. Now, answer me this real quick. I'm kind of going backwards, but the Dreamer Tuition Initiative passed in Arizona. It did. How in the it world did. did that happen? Well, I think I think a lot of uh, attitudes have changed here in the state of Arizona, particularly for Dreamers. You know, through no fault of their own, they were you know their 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 parents brought them here when they were young. Um, you know they they they've been going to Arizona schools. Uh, and and so I just think the sentiment has really kind of changed. Like, look, you know, maybe there needs to be some sort of quote unquote punishment or or some sort of enforcement action. Um, but it really doesn't make sense to penalize uh, these kids that were, you know, that they had no choice. They came over here. They've, you know, they've assimilated into society. They've gone to these schools and now suddenly, uh, when they get to college, they're going to, you know, they're going to have to pay the out-of-state tuition uh, rate. I mean, does that do anything uh, other than, you know, cause these individuals to uh, take on more debt? I think that's kind of the the thinking that, uh, that that's been kind of the change here. Well, um, I also think that, that Hispanics are more Republican now. I think that some of the anger over the last few years within the Republican Party, I know Arizona will always have an immigration issue because it's on the border, if that makes sense. Uh, but I think most of the anger within the Republican Party is not, um, it's, it's, not most, it's not as directed toward uh, illegal immigrants as much. I, I don't know, maybe I'm just listening more to the national mood, but I feel like Hispanics are now 50-50 Republican. They've probably been able to convince a few. I think when you've brought more Hispanics into your party, maybe people have heard more personal stories within the once, you know, more strident anti-immigration folks. Now they're like, ah, okay, I'll make an exception for your kid. So maybe just some of the sentiments shifted, I think, because Republicans have embraced uh, Hispanics more and Hispanics are maybe... Uh, telling their stories more. And I think it's probably smart and, you know, it's hard to argue against a kid who's brought here against or without any input, you know, the kid was brought here against his will or, or maybe it was for his will, but you know, he didn't have any decision yeah. or she. Yeah. They, they, they were not making the decision to come over here. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were young, they've grown up in the state and I, you know, I think there's uh there's two parts of it is one, what are we really accomplishing here? Do we think that um, not granting in-state tuition uh, to children of illegal immigrants coming over here is downstream uh, going, you know, is somebody in uh, Latin America going to really be thinking, well, why would I even bother trying to come to the United States if I get to Arizona uh, my kid's going to have to pay out of state 
tuition. I mean, there, there's no deterrence there. There's no deterrence by having this sort of hard line uh, position here in the state of Arizona uh, that it's going to impact illegal immigration coming across. I mean, you can make the argument, hey, these are public dollars. Should we be spending uh, any of that on, uh, you know, individuals who've come here illegally? That's that's a different argument. But also going to your point in terms of if you're doing outreach, if you are trying to grow your, uh, your tent, um, you're certainly not going to win a lot of uh, hearts and minds by being punitive towards uh these these children that have come here and by every in, uh, by every measure have, have view Arizona as home they went to high school they've done everything that their peers are doing you know they they they've taken the same tests they've gotten the same you know admission into college and suddenly they're they're hit with as you and I know having gone to law school once you know starting as out of state and then going in state i mean that's a significant uh uh, additional cost that you pay. Well, and they can pay it now. So maybe by having a slightly lower price, they can actually pay for it as opposed to taking on more debt or not going to college. Sure. Um, so I think there's just other ways to look at that positively. So um, anyway, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. I was like, wow, Arizona actually. Passed. Well, the other thing that the other thing on the ballot that passed that I'm, well, at least it's passing right now that I'm surprised is, um, we're we're creating a position of lieutenant governor. Oh my god! Yeah, right. Then how are people going to become governor? Because <laughs> it's always the hey, secretary now, of state. Now you got to run as a ticket. You got to run as a ticket. So, wow. um, yeah, the, you know. So the so we'll starting in twenty twenty six, the gubernatorial candidates will uh, select a lieutenant uh, governor uh, running mate and. Uh, I think that's smart. Um, you know, sometimes it works out in our favor, uh, depending on which party you were in. Like, you know, Napolitano, when she left, Republican Jan Brewer uh, became governor. And, uh, you know, it's it's worked out the other way sometimes. So yeah. it does give people a sense, however, I, I think sort of a, a sense of security is like, okay, I'm, I'm voting for this candidate. Uh, and for their policies, and there's likely to be continuity regardless of what happens to them. I mean, you can have some real uh, political whiplash depending on who your your uh, your governor is and your secretary of state is. Yeah, it definitely clarifies things a bit when you have mm -hmm. a number one and number two, and you know who the backup is. I, I do like that idea. Mm -hmm. so. And I think, as I pointed out um, last time, uh, Doug Ducey is the first governor in almost 50 years to serve out two full terms. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, since Raul uh, Castro back in uh, the late 70s, you know, he went on, he, he, the Carter administration pulled him up and made him uh, ambassador. I forget to which country or whatever. And since then, we hadn't had a governor complete uh, two full terms. Now, here's a thought. Would Ducey run for president? Uh, I don't I don't think so. He's certainly not making any of the the steps that you would think he's making. You know, he's he's wrapping up. He's the co-chairman of the Republican uh, Governors Association. Uh, so, you know, he was very much focused on trying to get uh, governors elected this last time. Um, 
he gets along uh, very well uh, with Vice President Pence. Uh, they've done a lot of uh, rallies together. As a matter of fact, during the the uh, governor primary here, Pence came out to stump for Karen Taylor Robeson, and the governor was there. So, I, I mean, you could see something there. But the question is, what's the path for Mike Pence to ever get to the White House? I mean, he's not going to win the MAGA crowd. And for those people that want to move beyond uh, Trump, mm. I don't think that Mike Pence is, you know, their go-to candidate. Yeah. Wow. That's another uh, good point that you won't hear on any other show. Because <laughs> a lot of people are saying <laughs> Mike Pence is the, you know, he's got a good shot. But yeah, I haven't thought about that, that Mike Pence is caught between a rock and a hard place. Like yeah. he's pissed who's, off who's the Who's his constituency? Yeah. yeah, he's pissed who's off the MAGA crowd and he's pissed off the anti-MAGA crowd. Yeah. And, so, you know, look, he's luck. very... He's a traditional conservative Republican. Uh, you know, he had a pretty strong record in Congress. He did okay as uh, governor of Indiana. There was, uh, it really looked like he might have lost re-election in Indiana had not uh, Trump selected him as his vice president. But be that as it may, I mean, uh, the, the people who support Trump aren't going to support him. And the people who want to move on aren't going to support him either because it just you know, why would, why would we pick Trump's vice presidential candidate? Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of see, um, we'll wrap this up here pretty soon, but I, I do see DeSantis as far and away the favorite, uh, all the other candidates, I think they might be softer around the edges. And, uh, but I think Republicans still want to, everybody wants to fight, you know, you still want mm -hmm. a guy who can counterpunch the other side. I don't see the, the distaste for the media going away. DeSantis really likes going after the media. DeSantis does very well in front of the media. He knows when to punch and when not to punch. He still will do the, the big things like sending illegal immigrants up to Massachusetts. You know, people like that in the Republican party. I don't see kind of the populism going away anytime soon, or at least not in the next year and a half. Uh, he's also a veteran, although he was a lawyer, if you can count that, but he, <laughs> I can say that and as in a lawyer. the Navy. I mean, come on in the Navy. Was it the Navy? Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah. a lawyer in yeah. the Navy. So he's barely a veteran. I can say that as a veteran. That's um, Admiralty law. He's probably just focused on Admiralty law. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's down there in the, was he even on a ship? Does it even count? Does, well, now he was. He was a, a, a jag down at Gitmo. So, oh, okay. I, so, so, I didn't yep, know that. So. Okay, so he did wear some camouflage. Yeah, he, he, he. Yep. Probably. As much as we joke about it, he was he was a good veteran. But okay, I think the watchword of twenty twenty four is going to be competence. Yeah, uh, oh, I good. think after uh, you know since two thousand sixteen. To by the time we get to 2024, I think what people are going to want is somebody who can competently lead uh, the federal government. Um, because I don't think anybody feels that's being done right now. And I'm, you know, on the Republican side. And the Democrats certainly didn't think that it was uh, being done by the Republicans uh, during the Trump administration. So I think. With everything that's happened over the by that time, by the last eight years, pandemic, inflation, 
uh, global supply chain crunches uh, and, you know, Afghanistan, and we'll likely either still be in the midst of or just coming out of a recession, I think people are going to want a breather. Yeah, I think competence is definitely going to be the word. And I was going to bring up another last issue that I I can see being a problem, and that is uh, foreign policy, particularly China. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that will catch people by surprise. And I, I follow defense news very closely, and that is all the talk in the Pentagon is China. And so I think the Republican, or I shouldn't say just the Republican, but the candidate in general who has good foreign policy bona fides and can talk intelligently about, uh, about China, I think will, uh, and has a plan for that, you know, a, a plan for a world in which, you know, it's sort of like a cold war part two. I think they're, they're going to do very well. And it's, you're going to want someone who is, measured and somebody who is competent and who has good judgment you're not going to want somebody like a a a trump who just kind of shoots from the hip and doesn't give a shit and wants to you know stick it to the to the establishment like when you got a nuclear power who's very much rising and actually can harm the united states if it wanted to then it gets serious and so you're not Mm going to want um you're not going to want a child in the white house that is for sure no, and you're, and like you said, you want somebody who can articulate what what is, you know, what what is what is the what is the view for that part of the world? I mean, what is America's Indo-Pacific uh, policy right now? I I don't know. All I know is that they changed PACOM to Indo-PACOM or something like that. You know, they kind of threw India in there, but nobody's really kind of articulated what do we see for the Asia Pacific region uh, in the next 50 years? Yeah. I mean, it's tough. I mean, yeah. So we have Indo-PACOM now. Uh, I do know that the military, particularly the air force is almost solely focused on China. I think almost to it's well, definitely to its detriment. Uh, You know, I think we could get a little bit too focused on one thing and forget about other things. I think that's a, a problem, but definitely foreign policy uh, I think is is going to be a big thing. Uh, I think people are going to be reeling still from the recession, so economically that will be in the background. I think abortion will subside as people see, oh, you know, this can be done at the ballot box, and oh, okay, people are pretty reasonable. Um, I think that will kind of subside. Uh, so yeah, that's about all I can see, man. Um, anything else you want to chat about? We're, we've been going a while. Yeah, no, I think I think that's about it. Like I said. Um Competence is going to be the uh, the watchword of 2024. But again, just last week, I said Carrie Lake was going to win by five points. So <laughs> y- you get what you pay for. Exactly. Uh, all right, Ted, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, we will do it again soon, okay? All right. Have fun in Australia. All right, we'll do. That is it, my friends. Thanks for listening. Please remember, if you have time, give me that five-star rating and friendly comment on your podcast app. And if you have additional time, go to gregcrino.com, subscribe to my newsletter. And for social media, try that targeted social media tactic. Go to a Facebook group that you like, post an episode that applies, and watch the show grow and make a few friends. And if you have any ideas for the show or comments for me, you can email me at gregcrinoshow at gmail.com. 
Take care and see you on the next episode.